Well, I'm going to do something a little different than what I normally do. We're going to um, look at this passage from Galatians. If you haven't been here, we're in a series called Simple Gospel uh, on the book of Galatians. But I just want to read it in full and pray and then, um, and, and then just kind of go from there and just allow this scripture to, uh, to kind of wash over. So if you have a Bible or if you want to open up your Bible app or just look on the screen and whatnot, I'm going to read this together. This is from Galatians 4, starting in verse 8. Just allow the scriptures to speak to us today. So it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. When they want, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children... How I, whom, for whom I, again, in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that this morning as we open it up and as we hear this letter written thousands of years ago to a church, very far away from here, but it's a church that struggles with the same sort of things that our church and many churches in this country and other places struggle with. And so, Jesus, I pray today that you will illuminate your word to us, that you will open up our hearts and minds to hear what you are saying to us and that we would respond to that, that today is not something just for us to consume, but today is something for us to receive and to respond with our lives. And so we open ourselves up to what you want to do and what you want to say in our midst. We thank you for your work in us, Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you've not been here the last three weeks, We've been doing this series, Simple Gospel. It's in a book called Galatians. Uh, It was written, uh, most scholars think, around the year AD 48. So we're talking not even two decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's written, this letter's written to this community of churches in southern Turkey. And, And it's written because these churches who were planted by Paul, the person who wrote this letter... They had missionaries visit after Paul who were coming along and distorting the message of Christianity. And it wasn't by them being less religious. It was actually them distorting the gospel by being more religious, by being even more religious than the people were. Because they were saying, yes, have faith in Jesus, 
But in order to really please God, in order to really get on his good side, you have to also follow all 613 Old Testament laws along with that. And, and, and in order to do that, you really essentially had to become culturally and religiously Jewish. So there was two conversions you had to do to really fit into this church. You had to come to faith in Jesus, but then you actually had to become, uh, have, uh, put your faith in, in, in the Jewish faith as well. You had to become culturally Jewish. There were two conversions. And Paul says throughout these scriptures, throughout this passage, that no, that's actually not the gospel at all. It's a distortion. So why does that matter to us? We are 6,000 miles from this church, about 6,000 miles. We are 2,000 years removed Why does this matter? It matters because the biggest danger to our Christian faith, it's not, uh, both then and now, it's not other religions, it's not competing ideas, it's distorted, warped versions of Christianity that are just close enough to look the part. It's Jesus plus this. It's Jesus plus Democrat. It's Jesus plus Republican. It's Jesus plus this type of denomination or this cultural marker. It's it's those things plus sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top and it looks just enough like Christianity to pull us astray. That's a bigger danger to us, friends, than any religion or competing idea that's different. It's allowing ourselves to be swayed by a version of Christianity that actually looks nothing like Christ. And that's a big problem. So what we discovered the first week in this series is that the gospel, the good news that we're, we're seeing distorted here, is an announcement not of something that you must do, but rather of what's been done for you. It's an announcement of what Jesus has done in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. He's made us new. He's inaugurated a new kingdom. And he's, this kingdom is all about restoring people who restore the world. That's why our mission is what it is here. We believe Jesus is restoring people like us because out of that restoration... We bring restoration to the world around us. We give what God has given us. And when we enter that life, when we enter that kingdom, we don't do it by what we do for God, but rather by putting our faith in what God has done for us in Jesus. That's a big difference. We don't get into the kingdom by what we have to do. We get into the kingdom by what God has done for us on our behalf. But the religious people here who were leading the Galatians astray, they were passionately teaching the very opposite. Living up to the standards of the Jewish law was the way you get into the kingdom. That's the heart of religion. The heart of religion is religion tells us to change our outer life. And by changing our outer life, that will change our inner life. In other words, if I figure out how to change my behaviors, if I figure out how to behave and be good, eventually on the inside, my heart will get good. Does that make sense? If I change the outside, somehow that's my identity, eventually will change. I, I, so I focus on my morals, I focus on my standards, and then because of that, I never actually allow my heart to change because it's just religion. It's just something that's trying to behave in a way that's different from before. And if you've ever done that before, if that's what Christianity has been to you, just be better than you are. You know you fail, don't you? Behavior modification is not the gospel. Just changing what you do on the outside is not good news, and it never really changes what's happening on the inside. We live in this time when there's a popular sentiment that that all religions really lead to God. You heard that before? 
Maybe some of you believe that. You come here today, and all religions, they, they, they lead to God, and it's based upon the idea that a lot of the rules and the regulations and guidelines of, of several different religions are very similar. You see some similarities between Christianity and Judaism and Islam and Hinduism and Sikhism, and, and you can find bits and pieces in each one of these that are, are remarkably similar, and, and that's good. We celebrate those things that are good within these religions. There are many similarities. It's not to bash them. There are many good things that we can learn from them, but the narrative usually goes something like this. Look at this picture on the screen. You've probably seen something like it before, that basically every religion is a path to God, and God's up here, and it's the big giant mountain, and so Christianity has this one path up there, but on the other side, there's Islam and Hinduism and Judaism, and so all of us are essentially on one path or the other trying to get to God, but everybody, by whatever religion they're following, is is trying to just get to the same God. Have you ever heard that before? That's, that's extremely common and, and, to be honest, extremely popular to believe that because if it's not true, then you seem exclusive. It's, it seems arrogant to say that my rules are, are, are better than your rules or my regulations or my guidelines and my religion are better than the other ones. And so you have to ask, how does the, why is the Bible then more, more effective or better than the Quran or maybe the Hindu Vedas? How is that? So what should we believe? Is that true? Is it true that God is up here and that every religion is finding a way to get to that point up there and everybody eventually by the same similar rules is going to get there? What is the answer to that? Well, I have, some, I have an answer for you and it may not be the answer you've heard from either side and the answer may shock you. It's, the truth is what we believe is that none of them lead to God. None of the religions lead to God. Not one of them. Even the Christian ones, even the ones with the Christian label on them, no religion leads to God. No religion at all can get you to God. Your actions or your obedience or your religion, any of them, whatever label you put on, whether that be Islam or Christianity, none of that can get you to God. Let's pray. So where do we go then? You see, the good news is that nothing can get us to God. And that's good news because the good news that we believe is that God came to us. God came to us. God became one of us. Even better still, God, when he became one of us, was was for us and not against us. God knew that we could never find any religion, no matter what label we put it on, to climb up that mountain and get to him. He is insurpassably just unable to be attained. And so God knows that and God chose in Jesus Christ not to put religion on us and not to come and start something new, but to say, I will come to you. I'll come to you. Orthodox priest Alexander Schmemann, he says this, nowhere in the New Testament is Christianity presented as a cult or a religion. Religion is needed where there is a wall of separation between God and man, but Christ, who is both God and man, has broken down the wall between man and God. He has inaugurated a new life, not a new religion. I need to say that again because it's big. He has inaugurated a new life, 
but not a new religion. Is that jolting for you? It should be. As you hear that, that should kind of shake you a bit because we are so prone to religion. Our religion, no matter what label we will put on it, will never lead us to God. Instead, the good news we believe is that God himself has come to us in Jesus Christ. So we should ask then, if, if it's not religion, what is Christianity? If Christianity itself is not a religion, how am I supposed to understand that? And then on top of that, if it's not a religion, how is this supposed to change my life? How am I supposed to follow the ways of Jesus if it's not about the rules that I try to do to get to God? Well, we get some clues here in the last half of that Galatians 4 passage we're going to look at again here. Paul's writing to these folks. He says, those people, speaking of the religious ones that are leading them straight, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provide the purpose is good, and and to be so always, not just when I am with you. So very quickly, Paul is pointing out that these religious law keepers, the, the religious people, are really, really passionate, really zealous. They have such a deep excitement and passion for what they're doing. And Paul says, it's good to be passionate. It's good to be zealous. It's good to be excited as long as it's not misplaced. As long as that passion and that excitement is not misplaced. This brings up a very important distinction for us. We can't mistake religious excitement for spiritual growth. Let me say that again. We cannot mistake spiritual excitement for Spiritual growth, religious excitement for spiritual growth. Just because you are are passionate about your religion and your faith, you could be passionately running in the wrong direction. Can't you? It can lead you astray. We can't assume just because passion and excitement are present that there's actually growth happening beneath the surface. These people were as passionate as they get, but they were dead. On the inside, because they did not have the gospel. They did not have the good news of Jesus. He continues to say, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I love that phrase. We had a friend, she's not here today because she just had a baby. Um, her name's Beck. She goes here, and last week she was here and she was just sitting on the front row like, like this. And I'm like, Hey, how are you? And and she goes, I just want this baby out of me. <laughs> Literally like that. And, and that's what Paul is, is the, the sentiment he's experiencing now. He's, he's in the pains of seeing Christ formed in us. He's looking at this church that he dearly loves. And he's just saying, I just want Jesus to be formed in you. I just want Christ to be formed in you. Hold on to that phrase there. Christ is formed in you. There's something, there's something different about that. Because there's, there's passionate zeal for religion about following the rules. From the, but then there's, there's the inner work of Jesus actually being formed in us. There's a difference. There's a difference between outside passion and actual inner spiritual formation. 
That's the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion tells us if we change our actions, it will change our heart. But the gospel tells us that our transformed heart is what actually transforms our actions. That's what it teaches us, that as we receive a new heart in Christ, that new heart gives way to new life and new actions. And so no matter how much behavior modification we might have, whenever we stop drinking and cussing and dating girls that do and all those sort of things, it's not changing our heart until something else happens inside us, until Christianity starts to become a supernatural work in us. A couple weeks ago, we were in Galatians 2, and Paul says this, and here he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As we're going to study and continue to study Galatians, friends, this is the turning point. This is where the movement towards an incredible amount of good news comes because Paul has to this point been saying, your religion is not saving you. You're following the rules are not saving you. You need something bigger than just the change that you try to force to happen on the outside. Something supernatural has to happen to you. Something on the inside has to happen to you. Something deeper than just religion. This is the shift we're beginning to see. Elsewhere, Paul writes this in Romans 8 that speaks about this shift that's beginning to happen. He says in Romans 8, starting in verse 9, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. When you hear that, hear natural. You're not not a law person. You're not doing this by human effort, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if... Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. What is He saying? The same Spirit of God, 2,000 years ago, that reached into the grave and took the dead body of Jesus and enlivened it with a new transformed body, a resurrection life, and raised him from the dead bodily, not just some spirit. His body was alive. The same spirit that raised Jesus up in the grave and broke out that grave and knocked that rock down and walked him out of there In new life, that same spirit is in you. You don't get the discount, Holy Spirit. You don't get clearance aisle, Holy Spirit. You get the same one that raised Jesus from the dead. And if that is true, that's something supernatural that's happening. That's something beyond what you can control with your religion. That's something deeper than just behavior modification. Christ himself has made his home in you. And that's one of the reasons, just real quick, why we don't use a lot of language when we gather and worship of, you know, God, we just want to come and we want you to be in this place. Come and be in your temple. Come and be in this place. Come and let let this be the, you know why? That's the Old Testament. 
God has filled his temple. Us. We are his temple. We don't have to ask him anymore to fill his temple because we are filled up. We don't have to ask for God to show up because he's already here. He has to ask us to show up and to submit our hearts and our minds and to be alive in the temple of God that is in us as his spirit becomes alive in us. Something different is happening. The gospel is transforming us from the inside out because that same spirit is now in us and it's changing us day by day by day. That's the work of the Christian life now. Not figuring out how to behave but rather the continual work of Jesus being formed in us, becoming more and more like Jesus himself. That's all discipleship is. Discipleship is a very churchy word, but all discipleship is, is becoming more and more like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Dallas Willard puts it this way. He says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I love that. Oh, I love it. Because you're not becoming a Stedford Christian. We're not all looking exactly alike. Christ is going to do something uniquely in you, in your job, in your life, forming you in a way that he's not going to be formed in me. That's how big Jesus is, is that Jesus can be uniquely formed in each one of us, and yet he's still inexhaustible. We're united by that same Jesus because he's uniquely being formed in each one of you. And that, that be, that, to, to, the, to the place of community, that, that's phenomenal because that means I can experience Jesus being formed in you in a way that I can't in myself. That means I need you. That means I need the way that Jesus is actually being shaped in you. I need the Christ in you to shape what is happening as Christ is being formed in me. And that's what, as we make this turning point in Galatians, this is my prayer for us, that this is a turning point, that today is the day we decide my religion is just not going to get me there. I can lay this down and ask God, instead of the control and the certainty that I have with following these rules, I can ask the Holy Spirit to come do the supernatural in me today, to come and to fill me up. You may have gone to church your whole life. You may have followed all the rules, but you've never just said, God, I lay this down. Come and fill me up. Come and fill my heart. Come and fill my mind. Say, Jesus, I know that by faith you've made your home in me. Your spirit is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It lives in me. And so, Jesus, instead of trying harder, today's the day I surrender. Holy Spirit, make me more like Jesus. If Jesus were me, change my heart so that the rest of my life will change. Free me from religion. Free me from the standards that I can never, ever meet. Free me from those standards. Free me from religious self-reliance. Come, Holy Spirit, come and make your home in me. Do something supernatural today. Do you believe Jesus wants to do that in you? Have you allowed him to do that to you? Have you opened your life up to that, to something new today? to something new. Let that happen. Supernatural things can happen when we just simply, by faith, ask him to come to make his home in us. If that happens for you today, something happened. I don't care how much church you've done or how much Christianity you've done. If that happens today, if Jesus fills you up, you became a follower of Jesus today. Today's the new day. And if that's you, 
take that step. Take that step out and say, I've decided to follow Jesus today. Put that on your Connect card. Say, I'm, I, I, I've, I've taken that step forward. Today's the day I leave behind religion and I put my faith in Jesus who's put it into my religion. And come be baptized. Write that on the card too. Check that off. If you want a, a new life, that's what we want to see happen in us. A supernatural act changing who we are as religion is laid to bed for good. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we're about to study next week as we move into chapter 5 this statement that says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I just sensed, I've sensed all week, you want to bring freedom this week as we gather. Some of us feel the bondage of religion on us and today's that day that we leave that behind we find faith in Jesus and ask him to come today and not just change my outside, come and transform my heart. Come and make your home in me and let today be the first day of the rest of my life for eternity. So Lord, as you're doing work in us in different ways, that passion that Paul had for the Galatian church, I know that, that the Spirit has that for us. He want to see Christ formed in us. And so wherever we are in our spiritual journey, whether that's trying to walk back into this faith thing for the first time, or maybe just not even really sure what you believe, or, or maybe today's a day that you've been a Christian for many years and you've kind of lapsed back into just saying, God, I'm going to try to impress you with how good I can live my life, that today's a day of renewal. Say, God, you've already given me approval. When you look at me, you see your son. You see your son's perfection. You see your son's righteousness that he has given to me. And that even though I'm a sinner, I'm a redeemed sinner. I'm a sinner that's been made whole and holy in Christ Jesus. Let today be a turning point for all of us here, Jesus. Don't let us walk out of here the same. We want to be changed by you pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of response at the end of our service.